0: 1 Corinthians 14. We're just going to be looking at verses 6 through 12 this morning. I had Drew read the pre-context so we could see the flow of thought in Paul's writing. And uh, I'm going to just open, I'm going to, before we start this message, I want to pray, and I want to uh, pray also for some Other churches in the community, I may not do this every Sunday, but on occasion I may. And this morning I'd like to pray for uh, Tim Madden, who is uh, speaking this morning in Forest City at Cornerstone Bible Church. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that we can turn to you. Thank you that uh, you have given us your word to understand more about your person, who you are, how you've been working in this world And it tells us not only of your character, but of your coming rule that will someday appear upon the earth with your return. And as we look into the Word, we're learning ways to prepare ourselves for your return, to um, live life in anticipation of your return. I ask, Father, that you would help me to be clear in how I teach this morning, that that through this text and through this time, you would speak. I also ask, Father, that you would fill Tim uh, as well over in Forest City. Thank you that we have had the privilege to participate in the establishment of that church through the years. We give you praise for the growth that they are currently having, and we give you thanks for that. And we ask, Father, that you would fill Tim with what you would have him to say this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I may have mentioned this on occasion, and I forgive me if I overstate this, but I did used to work for Toyota Motor Manufacturing in Canada, And um, while I was an employee there, I was told that the most common reason for uh, poor quality was actually coming from poor communication. Um, while certainly defects can occur through poor maintenance of machinery, it can happen through um, not checking the parts as they're um, coming to the line. There are all kinds of potentials in those directions, but they said that the most common cause for poor quality came through a lack of information, not having a, a, a solid set of information. Now, How can you argue with that when the company is number six on the global 500, Fortune's global 500? They must know a thing or two. They've seen a thing or two, I'm sure. And uh, they actually, for the size of their income, they actually run a pretty tight ship throughout the world. They have 50 manufacturing facilities outside of Japan, and they sell in 170 countries. And uh, they employ close to 300,000 people. Now, you would think, how can a company like that that size, see such success, you would think that there'd be a breakdown of communication somewhere, but as I lived and moved in that, ca- that company, information traveled everywhere. It went up and down and across, and there was such a desire to get accessible tools to everyone in the company to be able to do successful work. Um, it kind of created like a nervous system, like, the, like a human body. You could kind of almost like... Get anything that you needed when you needed. It. Even a guy who worked on the floor, who actually worked right on the on the car, and uh, really, what happened was that good communication created an environment where people could speak clearly with one another to produce better quality cars. And I believe, as you look at a company like that, you'd say, "Wow, that's that's really neat." But I think there's something else here. That's going on beyond better quality cars. In fact, as you look at good communication in a company like that, you actually see biblical principles in play. You see, in some ways, um, like in business and in nature, there are times where we can see the glory of God on display. Um, and really, communication and good communication is part of the character of who God is. Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 19 actually talks about this. In Psalm 19 verses 1 to 4 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. What happens when we see good communication and information pass from person to person in constructive ways? Well, we might say to internally, we might think, well, that's a a really well-oiled machine of a company. But I think we need to lift our eyes a little bit higher and say, you know what? I can see the glory of God in that. I can see God's beauty in that. And we, we can actually give glory to God when we see good communication in process. Um, why? Well, God is a communicating God. And he's designed us to be communicators. Now, so often though, we see in creation the warpedness and we see a lot of corrupt communication, right? Right? We see a lot of corrupt communication coming out of people's mouths, and the scriptures speak about that. But we also see breakdowns. But when Christ came, he came in order to redeem, so that we as Christians might be the glory of God to the world. And as members of a body, as a church, When good communication takes place, we become the glory of God in the world. Just as you might look at a company and say, they're running well and this is reflecting the glory of God. And as we are members of a body, God wants us really to pursue communication that builds up the body. Now in the office this week, I ran some of my ideas by Drew, and he said, boy, that sounds really 21st century. Is that really, is that really in the text? But I believe that these principles are here in the text. While he's talking about tongues, he's also talking about poor usage of communication and how essential it is for us to be good communicators And I believe that a central idea here in the text is that we ought to push ourselves to develop good communication skills to build up the church so that we might be the glory of God in the world. Now, in this text, there are three negative examples, three poor examples of communication that don't serve constructive purposes but in the negative, you can also see a positive principle. You can see truth that we can take and incorporate into our lives so that we might also be good communicators. Now, I have basically two points. Now, there, there's those three illustrations, but I've got two points that are, I'm developing out of this text. And the first is that good communication benefits the church That's in verses 6 through 11. If you have your Bible, you can look along with me. In verses 6 through 11, good communication benefits the church. And then the second is good communication manifests the Spirit. And that's in the very last verse. Most of our time this morning is going to focus on that first chunk, that first uh, 6 through 11, and then we're going to uh, close out with verse 12. But good communication benefits the church, and we ought to be pursuing it as a people. Um, In the previous paragraph, Paul had said that those who, uh, the one who prophesies in a congregation is actually maybe greater than a person who speaks in tongues. Now, this doesn't mean that speaking in tongues is a lesser gift, per se, But because prophecy communicates more broadly, it gives a clear message to a a wider range of people, it has a much greater benefit to the body. Now, Paul recognizes um, that if he were going to come into the assembly of Corinth, he was going to walk into their church service, and he started speaking in tongues, he knows intuitively that it's not going to benefit them unless the content of the message is being really heard. Um, Please notice in verse 6, chapter 14, verse 6, Paul says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Now, he's got a string of four thoughts here in verse 6. Now, as you look at these, you might not see immediately how they relate to one another. Well, the first two, that is, uh, they, they actually speak to content and then form. So, if he comes, as he says, with revelation and knowledge it would be most helpful if that form is able to be received so that form has to come through prophecy or teaching he there's a message that is from god there's revelation there's knowledge but it's got to come in a form that's accessible to those who are listening so it has to come in a prophecy that's understandable or in a form of teaching that's helpful. And so, Paul's point here is that edification demands intelligible content. And so, tongues by themselves can't really provide it. And so, it's important for us to focus on communication that is accessible to us. Now, he gives us three negative illustrations in verses 7 to 11 now. And Um, They imply a need for better communication. And so, in verse 7, first principle here that I see for us regarding communication is that good communication actually says something. It says something. In verse 7, we read this. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? Now, have you ever been in a store and a song comes on? Maybe you've not heard it in a long time. And uh, up until that time that song, everything was background noise. I mean, it was, it was nice, it was enjoyable, but as soon as that song comes on, the world stops and you're like, oh, there's that song. You're transported back to a time when maybe, you know, maybe you were out at Bethel Woods or something like that and or maybe there was a time where you, like, really heard the gospel and you, 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 you got it, and that song just kind of capsules, you know, kind of puts it all together for you. Um, music can be a sensitive subject, I know, but music connects with us often internally, doesn't it? It connects with our emotions. Actually, that's not what Paul's talking about here. <laughs> He's not talking about the emotional connection that music gives to us. Music is a powerful means of communication, though. Um, sometimes people will come to a worship service and say, well, you know, I really just didn't get anything out of that today. Uh, and I can sympathize with that because I've, I've heard boring teaching before and I've actually been boring and I know it. So I I understand that. But you need to understand that the job of the preacher is not primarily to connect emotionally with you. That's not his primary purpose. His primary purpose is to present the Word of God in a clear manner so that the Holy Spirit can do a work in your heart. For example, um, I might use an illustration about our cat, Rusty. And the illustration will connect with cat lovers everywhere. I don't have a dog, so it doesn't resonate with me. But that would connect with some people. And you know what? I could have someone come after me after, at the end of the service and say, what a great sermon, man. That was great. And then they start quoting to me, Rusty, the cat. And like, they totally missed the message. And really, much can be said in a worship service, and actually nothing can be said in a worship service. Expository preaching is, I've mentioned this before, is the art of making the plain things of Scripture plain and the difficult things of Scripture plain. And so, when a preacher opens the Word of God… To the best of his ability, he's trying to communicate the eternal truths of God to people who desperately need them. So when God's people understand the sense of the Word, we believe that God will use that Word to transform our inner selves to become more like Jesus Christ. God's Word has always been His chosen instrument to create, to convict, to conform His people. We desperately need the Word of God. Now, opening up the Word of God is my primary task, and I think it's really critical that you be praying. That you be praying through the week. Not that I would just have a good week, but that I I would earn you the money that you pay me. (laughs) That, that, That I would be able to, in the time that's spent in the office, I would come with something significant for you to hear. I need that work of the Holy Spirit to work within me in my own office, and I need that for you, and you need that for yourselves. But good communication, it does. It says something. And we all ought to be desiring to be good presenters of the gospel. Um, One of the reasons we have formatted our Sunday school the way we have is to give us all opportunities to learn how to be good communicators of the gospel. By talking through the lesson, we also have an opportunity to learn how to talk about gospel principles so that when we're in the world, we can communicate those. So the first principle here, communication has got to say something. And secondly, good communication brings a unity. It brings a unity. In verse 8, verse 8, we read this. And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Now, Paul is, again, drawing on principles of good communication, especially in the military. In his world, the bugle was used to bring a squadron, a a centurion might blow it to assemble his people in a certain area. And a a lot has changed. I mean, technology has changed, but communication is essential to get groups of people to unify and move and wage war. That hasn't changed. Can you imagine what would happen if multiple bugles were going off? That'd be chaos. It'd be disaster. In fact, uh, there have been times in history where even during the Civil War, there was miscommunication of not hearing the bugle and not receiving what you needed to know and hearing uh, another alternate message, and that can bring disaster. Now, let's think about this practically. What, what do you think would happen if there were strong voices in the congregation starting to spout off, I think we need to, I think we need to, I think we need to, I think we need to? That can create chaos for a congregation, and Paul is saying, no, we need to have a unified focus to go forward. That's necessary. Communication is necessary. Now, in a plurality of elders, the church needs its leaders to be in agreement. We need to be all saying the same thing. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you might be united in the same mind and of the same judgment. Now, what is the solution to multiple bugles blaring, if you will, in the church? What is the solution for that? Do we take the bugles away? No. I don't think that's it. A diversity of voices is very healthy, it's critical, it's important. But just as healthy is a gracious agreement to trust one another and to, to come to a point where we can support one another. That is critical. So, for example, I as a pastor might lose a vote in the eldership. I need to come out and I need to represent to the body a unified voice of what the elders are saying. That's part of good communication. But that's an act of trust. And in the life of a church, unity in the midst of a diversity is critical. It's essential. Now, when a church has a unified voice, it is a force to be reckoned with in the world. It is a force. But, you know, good communication requires it to go through the whole fabric of the church. Lay people need this as well. I, and it really has to come from the heart. The book of James talks about the tongue, and we use the tongue to communicate, and the tongue can get us into so much trouble. Um, from the tongue, James says, blessing and cursing comes. And we can have these things in our, even in our own homes where one day he or she is a saint. And then the next day, he or she is a devil. It happens. But Scripture says we need to have a, 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 a unity within us internally so that we don't have these kinds of outbreaks. James chapter 4 verse 16 says this, that where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then it is peaceable, it is gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. That's really good communication. When the heart is right, what's going to come out of the mouth will be good communication. And so we have to examine our hearts to ensure that what's coming out is good. How do we do that? We have to internally confess where we have sinned and seek the grace of God to make restitution. That has to happen. And then there comes a unifying effect of good communication in a home as well as a church. It all relates together. So, good communication has to say something. Good communication also builds unity. Third, Good communication also builds bridges. It also builds bridges. In verses 9 to 11, we see Paul talking about that. And so, verse 9, he says, So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech, that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language... I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up of the church. But in verses 9 to 11 there, he's talking about how critical it is that we use our language to build bridges with other people. That's what it's intended to do. I don't know if you... Have ever, I don't know if you're weird like me and think about things like this, but as I was thinking about this text, I was like wondering, well, how many, how many language groups are there in the world? And so I just Googled it and come up with 7,111 different languages in the world. That's a lot of variation. That's a lot of lack of communication. Especially, we won't know all of those languages. Now, Paul is saying it's so essential that there is a shared meaning that can occur between two people who speak a different language. How does that happen? And I think this actually is broader than just, you know, I speak English and they speak French. We live in a multiple pluralistic world in which there's all kinds of different viewpoints. And so when we talk to people, sometimes when we talk to people from a Christian viewpoint, people are like, what? They don't get it. They don't understand. And we might feel in our own selves that we don't understand them. I mean, frankly, how is it that our nation can, on the one hand, talk about freedom of 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 liberty, and then on the other hand, destroy a child in the womb. That doesn't make sense to us, but it makes sense to a lot of people out there. How do we get to those people? How do we build bridges to them? You know, conventional wisdom would say, you don't talk about what in the workplace. You don't talk about politics, and you don't talk about religion. And you don't do that anywhere for that matter. But I think really, though, we have to learn the practice of building bridges so that we can understand where people are coming from. So that we can tell them that there is another way. And we have to do that by incorporating good listening habits and listening to people. Not just completely writing them off. These are people who for whom Christ has died. And it might mean that we we listen to people. Have a little bit of a humility in our hearts to listen to them and not immediately write them off. And love is actually the indicator, that's the thing that builds the bridges. Pride creates distances. And there are so many times where unintended gulfs exist and we're not really building bridges with other people. And honestly, We all have different styles of preference, we have different personalities, and if we're not careful, we can allow our own sense of who we are become a grid to evaluate other people. And when we do that, we're not building bridges with people, we're actually creating walls. And we really need to learn how people tick and appreciate for who they are in Christ Jesus. You know, there's other ways in which we can create barriers to good communication, and some of those actually may be around things that are not of Jesus Christ, particularly in a congregation. What is… there's something potentially wrong if we can only associate in a congregation with people who are like us, who maybe go to the gym, or they they go hunting, or they go fishing, or they they have knitting, and they've got kids in our age group, or they're young adults, or young couples, and we might actually find that we only know how to talk to people who are like us, and we don't know the language of communication with other people. Now, it's really important for us not to just look at this and say, well, Paul, you're talking about tongues. How does that relate to me? The principle is there. We have to be building good communication for the purpose of building up a body of believers. And so, we ought to push ourselves to develop these good communication skills. It's a benefit to the church, but you know what? Secondly, the second point here that comes in verse 12 is that good communication is a manifestation of the Spirit. In verse 12, Paul says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Paul is challenging us to reconsider what we think spiritual manifestations look like. He's saying a church that's thriving in good communication is just as much a manifestation of the Spirit as a miracle is. And so he's saying, push yourself, like strive, excel. And that word excel there is an important word. Paul uses this word in other parts of chapter 12, 13, and 14 as he's talking about spiritual manifestation. Just turn back with me for a moment to chapter 12. In chapter 12, verse 31, he gives a little questionnaire. He says, do all people possess gifts of healing? Do all people speak with tongues? Do all people interpret? And the answer is, well, no, So he says in verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. In other words, strive for the gifts which build up the body of Christ. Go over to chapter 14, verse 1. In chapter 14, verse 1, he says, pursue love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. But notice that Pursuit of the fruit of love. That's from the Spirit, and that is used by God to build up the body. And in the middle of the love chapter, he uses that word again. Look at chapter 13 and verse 5. I'll read verse 4 because it would make no sense in some ways in the flow of reading, but it says, "'Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast.'" It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. That word, insist, is the the same Greek word here underneath with the idea of excelling, of like pushing for your own interest. That in itself does not build up the body. And Paul is saying, strive instead of your own interest for the benefit of of the other members and do that with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. And so when we think about manifestation of the Spirit, we tend to think of those things as like miracles, of healing, of speaking in tongues, the signs and the wonders. Now if those things are genuine, if they actually occur and they are from the Spirit, then yes, they are manifestations of the Spirit. But those are not the only manifestations of the Spirit. God shows up in our mundane worlds. He actually does things in the midst of a congregation like ours. When good communication occurs, the kind that creates a unity, that says something, that builds bridges to other people in the congregation, that itself is a manifestation of the Spirit. And I don't think that we really appreciate it for what it is. And we need to appreciate it for what it is. God himself is a communicating God. And he loves talking to himself. You know that each member of the Trinity as recorded in the Scripture is communicating with each other? Jesus is actively Talking to the Father through His ministry, and the Spirit is actively moving in His life and leading Him through the wilderness and empowering Him and, and guiding His every point of teaching. Conversation is integral to the God we worship, and so God has created us as as light bearers. We're, we're image bearers of God, and so we've been gifted with communication. Sometimes this gets lost in translation, the translation of sin. It, 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 it breaks down. And it can break down in our homes. It breaks down in our society. It just breaks down everywhere. But God sent His only begotten Son to redeem us and to redeem us to have good communication. God sent His only begotten Son for all of us so that we might communicate love to one another. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Did you know that the church is to declare the glory of God? John 13, 35 says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And to do this requires the humility of the cross and apply that to our own hearts and say, I need to change. I need better communication with other people. I know it. But knowing it is simply not what the Scriptures tell us to do. We're not just to be hearers, in, hearers only, but to be doers of the Word. And you can't do that without the Spirit of God empowering you, and you need the Spirit, and you only get that through the humility that comes of confession. We have to bear our cross. We have to repent, and then we need to follow Him into good communication. And so we are being challenged by Paul here as Christians here in the 21st century to develop good communication skills, not so that we are just successful in the business world, but that we're able to build up the body of Jesus Christ. It is for His glory that we exist, that we move. And so I would encourage thoughtful reflection this morning as we consider what God has said to us through His Word.